Hello, and welcome to this off-the-cuff edition of Network Collective. Networking Field Day 17 just wrapped up last week, so we thought we'd get a crack group of delegates together to chat about what was presented. So you've got about 10 seconds to settle in because we're about to get started. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Tech Field Day is an event that matches up industry influencers, which are some of these pretty faces you see on the screen today, with... Uh, engineers from some of the vendors to get together and chat about some of the cool products they're making. Uh, if you haven't experienced a field day event or if you haven't watched any of the videos, you should go over to their website. Not right now because we want you to watch this. But after this, techfieldday.com and uh, go check out some of their content because there's just lots of amazing things there. So uh, without further ado though, let's get started. Was there any major themes that came out from this event this year or this, this particular event? It happens twice a year, so right? I think uh, two or three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, go ahead. I think Nick. there are. Uh, I think there were a couple. Um, but the biggest one that that what, that I could that I could point out was that there seemed to be an automation slash integration story with pretty much all of the major vendors. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I could probably stretch it to say there was something. Uh, you know, there was a little shred of that in pretty much everything that we saw. Um, that seemed to be really the theme that I took away from almost everything I heard was that, you know, here's how we're going to abstract this and here's how we're going to, you know, create this thing that works with this other thing. And mm -hmm. you don't have to touch all, all the nerd knobs. Now, you said something interesting there. You said all the major vendors. I think we've seen, you know, in, in the past events that it's been the, the startups that seem to be all on the automation train. Is it big vendors that are on the train now? Yeah, I well, think so, so I think, yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, we that. <laughs> go ahead, Nick. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, what Yvonne said. <laughs> Nick, I think she said yes. <laughs> she did. So we yeah. have consensus. In the past, you know, yeah, go ahead, Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things uh, we saw, uh, the big incumbents, right? So for years, there's been SDN and there's been automation and there have been open source tools. There's been Python and Ansible. Um, and now we're starting to see the big incumbents, Juniper, Cisco, um, all talking about these tools. Um, you know, nearly every presentation that we had, at least from a hardware vendor, had a link to GitHub where uh, their, you know, their engineers have put resources up there for us to download that are, um, can be used with other open source tools. So I thought that was very noteworthy. Yeah, there's definitely a theme of open source tools, but I also noticed that some of those vendors, uh, the biggest ones like Cisco included, are embracing programmability from a broad scope, meaning that they're not necessarily opening up everything in the world, but they are um, embracing the paradigm of programmability, of not having to be on the command line and some semblance of, of intelligence. So whether that be through uh, open APIs, um, uh, Python, Ansible, you mentioned a couple of those tools that people use that are, that are popular methods. You know, Cisco didn't necessarily go there, I, although I know that, you know, NXOS and iOS XE is uh, open to an extent. They didn't necessarily go there with SD Access, uh, which we can certainly explore. 
but you know, when we get into the, some of the, the, the lesser known, but still awesome companies like, like Cumulus and, and then, you know, extreme brought something to bear. They really did embrace the openness factor where, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a, an all or nothing kind of a thing. Like this is our controller where you automate orchestrate, whatever word you want to use today. Right. Still trying to figure that out our boxes, you know? And so I thought that was pretty cool how the, the entire industry is shifting. And really it's not like a new thing. Everybody's like, yeah, this is what we do now. So I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or not but that was my take to be fair I think juniper that's... juniper has always had a good automation story okay so okay. i like I, as, as we're talking about this it's, it's hard to wrap them in with some others because i mean i think they were kind of ahead of the curve there hmm. in, in offering some of the automation tools like even before we all were asking for them and so i just kind of wanted like when we talk about big vendors and it's easy to wrap juniper in there because they are one of the biggest vendors that presented okay. at this at this event uh they've been serious about automation for quite a long time and they continue to be and i think that's really encouraging I think oh, they're packaging it. That's another thing. It's not necessarily just automation. And, you know, you run your playbooks off of your Ubuntu box, you know, or VM, but they're packaging it into a platform for people to use. So you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a net DevOps person or even just a, you know, a, a, a you know, an amateur developer where you can do that stuff on your own. It's, it's all packaged platforms. Is that a good thing? I don't know, but it's definitely still embracing the programmability paradigm. I do like at the other end of the spectrum, you've got Cumulus Networks who uh, they did previously have their own modules out for Puppet mm. and Share, and they've now basically cut those and said, yeah, it's all native Linux now, so it's yeah. just Puppet. You use it out of the box, which is actually pretty awesome. When it that's, that's a really compelling thing about Cumulus, isn't it? Is, is the fact that it's just Linux. Now, for us as yeah. network people, that may not be as comfortable as it is to some of the server people who might be listening to this. Mm -hmm. It's just Linux. It's a little bit intimidating, uh, even to me. Uh, but I just, you know... It, there's a good story around orchestrating and automating Linux. It exists. It's been around for a yeah. long time. Mm -hmm. So Jordan, well, there's, there's a, I have a question about that because I'm wondering, uh, yes, definitely there was um, open source and Kubernetes. Everything was being talked about by all the major vendors and the incumbents. My question is, is this being driven by their enterprise customers or are they doing this because they feel like they're still trying to court the web scale folks who demand and need this? And are they actually getting out ahead of their enterprise customers? I still think it's leading the enterprise customers personally. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, so I work, I, here's my bias. I work <laughs> consulting for enterprise customers. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see a lot of my customers out there demanding right. automation and orchestration. And so this is from my, my particular view of the world. I don't, I don't see it. I am sure there are enterprises out there who are doing it. But I think that this is still, you know, vendors cater to the top 10%. Right. And everyone else has just kind of follow along with what's going on. That's just my take. I have a fairly strong opinion about the enterprise customers being catered to. <laughs> Do you right? now? Because, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Drew, you opened the can. Here we go. <laughs> my apologies, so my opinion on this. Now, let me preface this by saying that I don't work in the enterprise and haven't since like 2000. So take it with you. was back then, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> It might have been 99. I can't even remember. It's been a while. <laughs> but they they don't change ever unless mm -hmm. they have to. And so automating things is change. And my guess is that they are still catering to the large web scale. I mean, so Kubernetes is a great example, right? Do you know any, any can you name one enterprise that's actually using that? No. 
No. When I John works for an exception, so yeah, I reached out to some of my colleagues, guys that are you know more on the front edge in the enterprise world. I'm like, hey, have you anything with Docker's or Docker Kubernetes? And they're like, no, not at all. These are more honestly, they're probably just getting into VMs. Right, yeah. they're probably just. It's, not, oh, it's not quite that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's that's a bit of an yeah. exaggeration. But but I think there's, there's a point there in general about the adoption of, of technologies like these, where you've got the web scale companies up at the very top end who can invest an enormous amount because that's how they make their money is by making such huge efficiencies with automation. You've then got the very large or large and very large enterprises who have the people on staff and they can afford to make a project out of it. At the small end, you know, small to medium business and small enterprise, no one's got the time to go develop stuff and, and automate this stuff themselves. And then you've got the rest of us sandwiched in the middle, right? And our problem is we kind of don't really have the skills or the time or the money to do this, but we want to do it because we want to be more efficient. And mm -hmm. so when, when we talked about, um, you know, how things are getting a little bit more packaged up and you may not even need to be a programmer, I think that's... To me, that's the market right there. Right? The web scale don't care about it being packaged up. They'll do that themselves. Yeah. But, well, they can you know, yeah, hire an army of developers. And well, I think sure. Yeah, to your point, John, I think that seems to be the approach to me that Extreme is taking with their uh, workflow composer and their Stackstorm uh, mm -hmm. open source project. They're making it very consumable, very small bites. It's not boil the ocean automation. It was, here's a very specific use case where you can use these tools, use this workflow composer with things you probably already have in your enterprise. And it's kind of like eases you into this whole automation. Scheme. Yeah. Well, and, and that's and, how they presented it too, Drew. They didn't even make any bones about it. They said straight out, just use our, our platform to gather ephemeral data, you know, ephemeral or whatever information from your network. That's a little bit more tedious to get. Just use it for that. Don't even push right. big. Just that's use right. a they couple say that, yeah. at first, uh -huh. which to me says we're catering to enterprise uh, networking. Right. Right. I think there's another that was Juniper with their whole automation framework and, that seems like, you know, trying to swallow the elephant to some degree. Mm. I, I remember there's another reason that they're, they're going that direction. And I think it's oh. because the vendors, so oh, the, large the, vendors. Vendors, okay. yeah, the large vendors, I think are going that direction because they've seen what I'm going to call the failure of SDN, right? You have this, the stuff that comes in and it's completely different. It's got new protocols that are extremely green yeah. don't scale well once you start to poke at them. And they're, they're noticing that like, okay, there was a whole lot of hot fuzz about this, you know, however long ago and nothing, it didn't go anywhere, right? Nobody's using it. So how can we take the elements of that that are good, you know, the programmatic access to things and, and, you know, automating stuff and abstracting away the CLI as much as possible and then package those in a way that like the stodgy enterprises can absorb without getting heartburn. Right. Gonna, I want to ask a question here because I, this is one of my, um, you know, here's my little soapbox. I promise I won't stand here too long. How, when was the last time we saw our industry as a whole change in a single product cycle? I, I'm going to, I'm going to venture and say it's never happened, right? We see, we see the people who are advanced, who have teams of developers and teams of engineers, they can react quickly, change the new products and do whatever. So, I mean, you say that, you know, the, the kind of the failure of SDN, I don't disagree with you at all. SDN I see is like the shot across the bow. SDN was the first iteration of like, okay, we're going to get serious about orchestration. And now, and now the new buzzword is intent-based networks. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. 
mm-hmm. um, right? So that's that's the next generation. And maybe through like the third or fourth generation, we'll actually get to a product that like people beyond the web scalers will use. And I think right. you could say SDN was a failure, you know, talking about specific products or protocols and OpenFlow, but you could also see SDN as sort of that beachhead where they introduce concepts like programmability, um, automation, a controller, a centralized controller that's going to, you know, automate some steps to your network. So in that regard, maybe SDN was less of a failure and more of phase one. So who, who was well, ever going to so program I think the problem was that, that, that I got- Go ahead, John. Who was ever going to program OpenFlow switches? Seriously. I mean, that was, that was never a product. I did it. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's my point, yes. So this the, is the, the model, I'm the exception the original again. model didn't work. But I, I've said for a long time, it's not about OpenFlow. It's about abstractions and then abstractions of abstractions, which is what makes this stuff accessible. And the people up mm-hmm. at the web, web scale end of it have said, you, and, and Jordan, you're absolutely right. The industry doesn't change in this kind, of, this kind of speed. And the people up at the top end said, you know what, we'll go write our own. This isn't good enough. And that, exactly what you've seen is people have said, well, we walked away from it. Well, and then, well, and then, so, we, see the, then we see the enterprises seeing, you know, the top, you know, <laughs> the top 5% of the market that spends the top 80% of the money <laughs> say, basically say, I don't need your products. And then they'll go, wait, 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 we'll build it for you. What do you mm-hmm. want? And then we get this slew of products until we actually get something that's usable beyond the web scale. Yeah, sure. So let me, let me clarify what I mean by the failure of SDN. So, SDN was a thing that came around and it was productized far too early before it had an actual definition. So whatever it was, didn't, it didn't matter what it was. It was, it was marketed as a very radical change that's going to revolutionize networking, right? It's the, you know, it's the, you know, it's what wiped out Cro-Magnon man. The problem was, there wasn't anything, right? There were a couple of different sprinkled little things around that, like programming OpenFlow switches, which stunk. I did it quite a bit. This was no fun. And, you know, but OpenFlow was just one, it was one piece of that. What it really was, was it was an attempt to make a standard protocol that was different than everything else that went from, you know, if you look at different versions of OpenFlow as an example, and OpenFlow is not SDN, but if you look from like 1.0, to 1.4, I mean, you're touching optical levels and things like that, and you can control all kinds of different aspects. It was it was too much too fast, and the vendors were, the large incumbent vendors were very uncomfortable with the amount of control it took away from them. So mm. in that regard, I would say, yeah, it just, it was, it was too extreme, right? That's and so now they're going back and I was just going to say, yeah. if you if you want to look in the marketplace today, though, and you want to find the closest thing to SDN that we can find, that would be uh, NSX, probably, as far as a product that you can purchase and implement that is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a soft, really, truly a software-defined network. Um, and we heard um, we heard a bit from VMware too, um, and and we saw the the VeloCloud acquisition, but but we uh, you know we got to hear a little bit about NSX and the overlay and and that software defined network. So I think that's just kind of an interesting dovetail there. I think some people yeah. might take exception with that statement. That's okay. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the thing but, go ahead. about NSX is that it so and why I think it will be successful is that it's not coming from the network perspective. It's, they're not marketing it initially towards people like us that are going in and, uh, you know, configuring network equipment per se. It came, it came from server land, right? It came from virtualization world where that's a really different environment, right? But if, but if they are asking for that and it works really well, <laughs> and it works really well, then it will migrate in, I think. 
Man, that's a two-edged sword, though. We, I mean, we did a show on cloud connectivity not long ago, and we talked about all the pitfalls of the fact that the cloud connectivity was built by people who clearly were working on servers and not on networks, and all of the all of the caveats that come from that. And I think NSX has some of those same things built in because you can definitely like exactly what you said is true is that it was built from the perspective of of supporting a server infrastructure rather than building a network. And I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying is that that paradigm, it does have some trade-offs, just like everything else. Oh, absolutely. But I think, you know, given the presentation that they gave us, um, it seems like they're thinking about that. And you guys can, you know, correct me if you don't agree, but it seems like they're, they're not only thinking about it from the virtualization engineer that's going in and he's manipulating things, but they're giving a lot, they're putting a lot of thought into how this touches the bare metal networking at least that's the way it felt to me, at least more so than I need V motion across the country questions that, you know, we all got yeah. at one point or another. Well, I mean, they brought up specifically bringing application, uh, rather security down to the VM level, right? They talked about the distributor or, or decentralized security. So that's something rather than sending all your, you know, your data center traffic to a couple firewalls somewhere, you know, down a couple racks, however, however it is. So that's, you know, security, networking, network security, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I think that's one example of what you're talking about, Nick. Um, and I thought that was probably one of the more compelling parts of their argument because the, or not necessarily argument, but the presentation, because I felt like that presentation was basically like, this is what we're doing now. You know, it wasn't like, this is all groundbreaking stuff. We have a big announcement, which is fine, by the way, they're just plugging along. And I think, I think Greg talked about it that way, didn't he? He said, you guys are just linear, you're plugging away and you're, you know, you're meeting the market with uh, the next step. And that's what it felt like to me. Okay. Now we're going to address the security issue. We're going to bring that down to the application. Well, to the VM in this case. And well, actually down to the container, in fact, down to the container. There you that go. That was the latest thing is, Whoa, we're down to the container level. Yeah. Now, Greg, Greg, you mentioned one of the things he, he <clears throat> discussed, and I think some of the presenters had agreed at one point is that this should all be pushed off into the code anyway, into the application layer rather than letting us do it and, yeah. and I was just thinking this is just a disaster because you know we, any more than I can write an application for a server I don't believe the average coder can understand how to use a network and that's kind of what scares me about NSX it, it's, hmm. it's, it's done for networking the same thing the checkpoint did for security oh I can click a button I'm an administrator um, <laughs> It's like just, 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 where's my check? My question, it seems like, yeah. sorry, John, I, I want, I don't know. I, I guess I disagree slightly. It's my perspective. I think both Juniper and VMware were trying to tell the story about, we want to put some control back in the hands of the networking group um, through the data center and up into the cloud by giving you frameworks that you're familiar with and packaging it up in a way that's consumable by the server people without them actually having to do anything in that you give them the lanes to run in and you didn't, but you're handling all the backend stuff. If they wanted crap, to that was brilliant. <laughs> that was good. That makes sense. I mean, that works good. And there's a gap there, right? There's a gap where, you know, the best practice for security is to filter as close to the resource as you possibly mm -hmm. can, right? But that's not the typical architecture that you see, right? You see, I have this big network and I built a bunch of access ports and here's VMs and here's this thing. Oh, by the way, the internet's out here and there'll be dragons. So let's put this stupid box in the middle and that'll be everything. Right. And if we're really, really saucy, we might have a knack or something in there, too. I, I remember but distinctly like, during one presentation being told that if we as network people can help the server person understand how to click the box to turn on ISIS, it'll all be OK. 
<laughs> that, that, that could have been said, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I think moment. somebody may be oversimplifying. <laughs> I don't know, John, man. Anytime anybody wants to run ISIS, I get pretty excited. Hmm. Right? I don't know. I mean, that's also like click the BGP box on the cloud configuration, yeah. right? I mean, that's still, the, we have that problem, right? I mean, and I don't know that that's, that's ever going to go away because, you know, marketing. Oh, but hold on. This is a perfect segue. Intent-based networks is going to fix everything, right? All you have to do is imagine it, be able to put it into, you know, regular you human understanding. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you might have to articulate in at least some human understandable language. And the network just goes out and configures it. Now, I know there had to be at least one vendor who sold you or told you that there was some intent-based product that they were selling. So I, who was there it? There was a lot, there was a lot of talk about that. Yeah, I okay, so who was it? You know, I don't... I don't know, Nick. I didn't hear every vendor talk about IBM, <laughs> and I was glad about that. I was actually surprised. It wasn't all I did hear it wasn't Cisco talk about it. Who, who, who are you thinking of? I uh, believe it was mentioned in Extreme. It was really? mentioned in. Yeah, I'm, I'm I pretty need to sure. Pay I need attention. I guess. And I think it was mentioned. I know Juniper mentioned it as well. Yeah. Okay, that's true. I do remember uh, that. You're right. So I mean, it's you know, it's the it's the thing, right? It's hmm. it's what we used to call heuristics, but uh, yeah. like. <laughs> It's, and, don't, and don't forget, Cisco did the uh, intent-based experience design. But that was yeah, a, a yeah. all about intent. Um, I don't know. I, I, think, I think every iteration of configuration we've ever had has been intent-based. Like, if I intend this router or switch to do this thing, I'm going to type these commands on it, and it's going to do whatever the heck I tell it to do. That was my intent. It's just a very, you know, varying degrees of how human understandable that intent is and how, how approachable it is for people. And so, I don't know. My argument in all of this is, like, I understand what we're getting at, and it's not a bad thing. Um, but, I mean, it's orchestration. And we know so what orchestration is, but orchestration doesn't sell. To say, hey, we actually made our orchestration work slightly better. Will you buy our stuff now? Like, it just doesn't well, sell very well. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Hang on. I've got a soapbox here. Okay, right here it is. Sweet. Someone else has their own. <laughs> it would be amazing if that said, like, Dove or something on it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, to me, <laughs> Dove. To me, intent-based is the SDN of this last year, this year, and probably next year, right? It's this thing you can't define. Everybody thinks they have to have it. It has a cool concept behind it, but at the end of the day, it's incredibly hard to be a thing. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to implement something like that. And to me, it's, you know, I agree with Jordan. The, the network does what I intended it to do. The network does what I told it to do, right? I may not have intended that per se if I've made a mistake, but the network is a dumb thing. It's just going to do what I program it to do or whoever programs it to do. And that thereby is intent, right? Just like my SNMP manager for my switch ports is SDN because it's software managing the network, right? So I, okay. I think that one of the more valuable <laughs> concepts to come out was presented by Juniper and they, um, they were talking about applications that they can plug in now to their solution. And they mentioned the peering bot or the peer bot, right? Peerbot. Which is a automation system to manage uh, BGP peering that will basically crawl through your entire network and say, you want to add this BGP peer, and it will go in and, and configure BGP on all the nodes that you want to peer with. And it will do that in a more automated way. And I think those kinds of tools actually have real value because I was today configuring IBGP across four different routers. And what did I have to do? 
copy, paste, change the IPs, paste it back in, show IP BGP summary. I mean, oh, you know, it's just really (laughs) monotonous. And I think, so I think we're moving in the right direction and we're starting to see tools emerge that have value, but there's going to be a lot of combing we're going to have to do to figure out what to keep and what to throw away. And it's going to take our vendors a while to figure that out too. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, I don't think orchestration is going to happen as some like holistic thing. I don't think we're going to get one program to rule them all for all of the switches and all of the applications and all the things we need to manage across our network. I think that what we're going to have is we're going to have orchestration. And I'm stealing this from Jeremy Shulman, by the way, giving credit (laughs) where it's due. Um, He speaks a lot about, uh, orchestration automation for the application. And so, you know, they're big on setting up, uh, he works for Appstra, they're big on setting up lease spine fabrics and they do that incredibly well. And it's a very specific focus about what they're setting up. And then you just talked about a tool that sets up BGP. Um, and that's a specific application orchestration in and around something that you can define and say, okay, I might have 30 different vendors where I need to set up BGP, but it's one thing I need to set up and I can manage that. But, but then saying, okay, I'm going to manage the interaction point between BGP and spanning tree and the interaction point between BGP and this other routing protocol and redistribution like that just gets to the point where it just becomes unmanageable. And I think that what orchestrations are going to be is these specific tools this is my crystal ball, by the way. Um, <laughs> these are specific tools that do good job at orchestrating one thing, and us as engineers are going to be tying them together. I think uh, that's right on the head because every time I've done any automation stuff in the past and anybody that I've talked to that's had any success in doing that kind of thing is they picked like the two things that they do all the time and – they automate those, right? And then you just step it out. But I was really, really excited when I saw that peer bot. And I'm glad you brought that up because anyone that's ever done any type of multi-router or exchange point peering setup knows that it's just, it's very manual. It's very monotonous. You have to check and double check and taking that one process, like you said, and just making that a blob and that blob just does that one thing, right? And then you tie those blobs together with other things, then you have orchestration. And so I, right. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, I, I, don't, I wonder if it was clear to everybody is there, is Pure an application that runs on top of Contrail or is PeerBot I can buy standalone? That, that wasn't clear to me. My interpretation is that that was part of Contrail, okay. but I agree that it wasn't terribly clear. And that may have been on purpose because everybody's like, PeerBot, that sounds great. Oh, to get that, I need to buy Contrail. (laughs) (laughs) But but Contrail's open source now. And I'll tell you, last time I looked at Contrail, eh, you know, I was kind of mad about it. I had high hopes because, you know, it was very MPLS based. It was a lot of the things that I actually needed to do. But it was, in my opinion, I just, I couldn't. I didn't have the time to make it work the way I thought it should work. And it didn't do some of the things I thought it should do. And part of that might've been me, but they've gone. I mean, I was stoked after I saw that contrail talk because that had stuff in it that like I could relate to in the things that I do, you know, every day. So the, the contrail, the contrail talk that they had, I could have used more of that. And there was already what, two hours on contrail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like contrail actually or open contrail, like actually has a direction now that's helpful because uh, uh, you know I, I did some training in Contrail like two years ago and just kind of went, uh, what am I going to do with this? This is this is not for us. I listened yep. to the Open Contrail and went, whoa! I see where you're going with this. This is awesome. 
Um, so th there's definitely been a lot of change there along with the open sourcing. Um, I, I, I thought they gave a, a great presentation on, on kind of where they're going with that. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to, to be fair to the vendors that are, you know, they're using a lot of marketing terms. You know, we heard machine learning a couple times. I think I even heard AI once or twice. I, I do think that, you know, intent-based networking is a separate thing from orchestration. I just think that we're, we're it's a, it's kind of a misnomer the way that vendors are using it. So case in point, I'm not convinced that SD access is intent-based networking. Um, you know, making predictive analysis from statistical modeling, that's one thing, but you know, uh, you know, orchestration is kind of the, the next level of automation where you're managing many devices programmatically, maybe machine to machine. Whereas intent-based, you know, you're giving the whatever business desire that you want and, uh, and it's able to uh, use that data set that it's accumulated over time. Obviously that's machine learning, right? That's under the hood. And then it can adapt and do the things that it has to do on its own without, without that human intervention. Whether that's real or not, that's a different story, but that's how I see the difference between the two. So that being said, I'm still with you guys that I didn't really see much of intent-based networking using that definition that's floating in my head. So please correct me if I'm wrong, if you think it's different, but I think that's the distinction for me. Well, they so talked about it, but I don't think that they, you know, I agree that it isn't what I think it should be because any of the machine learning questions I asked, they didn't really get answered. Right. Not much, no. I mean, it was an attempt. I remember when you and I, I were kind of talking about that. I don't know. Maybe I was asking in the wrong way or, or whatever, but it seemed like when we talk about intent, if you really, and my view of it is that, uh, and again, I'm just one person, I could be wrong. There's a component that gets hand wave over a lot that isn't just statistical analysis and adjustments for deviations. The, the machine learning part of uh, intent is, you know, let's wave our hands around and maybe it's behind the curtain. Mm. Yeah, and pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> and and it, and and that's machine learning is really hard to do, mm -hmm. especially especially with the network. You're right. I wish I could remember who it was. There was actually one company who who listed two algorithms they were using. I think because Nick pushed them too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, no, I remember that. And that wasn't necessarily uh, algorithmic that they, the, the context. I remember he talked about uh, unsupervised learning, which makes sense because we're talking about unlabeled data generally from a network, which makes that's machine. That's very difficult to do. And then somebody mentioned clustering. So that's technically, you know, a, a modeling method. So that's, that's cool. So we got a little tidbit. You know? Yeah, that was the same company um, oh. because they did talk about, and I, I'd have to look at my notes to remember exactly what that came out of, but um there was a element of uh, assisted learning, which you have to start with, right? Mm -hmm. And then they that they moved to the unassisted learning. But they, when I asked about the neural nets and things like that, there was, didn't, I think that was probably too deep. Yeah, it was but, kind of blank stare when you. Yeah, that was a cool question though. Just the the term neural net that was pretty <laughs> cool. Cool. So. I, well, I mean, I don't. I, I know about this much. We have a we have someone that's working very intently on <laughs> intensely. Machine learning. So yeah. I can pretend to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for some of the sessions I was able to tune in for, visibility seemed to be a big topic as well. Did you guys get that? Yeah. As a, I also heard just to just to be clear that SNMP is the new hotness, right? <laughs> you kind of did. Dashboards. We spend a little too much time in a dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. Last I agree. week. But Single pane of glass. There were a bunch of them, right? 
Yes. That phrase has died. <laughs> I Apparently not, Yvonne, because I heard it alive and well last week. I don't remember hearing that one. Oh, yeah, I heard it a few oh, times. Wow. And I remember... I remember throwing it out there. I wrote spog, spog a few times. Um, yeah, visibility is, you know, it's it's a necessary thing. But yeah, you know, it's kind of boring sometimes, especially because it's not like some flashy new thing. So sometimes those kind of presentations are a little lacking. But, it, you know, to be fair, it is important technology and extremely useful, especially if you're into network security and uh, and that sort of thing. So. Well, you've got, I mean, you got Cisco talking about finally doing streaming telemetry in iOS XR with such mind blood. And and in fact they've they've got that now on iOS XE and the uh, NXOS on the nine thousands the ACI kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that that whole streaming telemetry thing. Yeah, we, we I realize everyone's going to be SNMP washing their products very shortly. Yeah. But what, before that happens, um, streaming telemetry to me is like that's the thing because I, I want to be able to sit there and watch a stream of stuff and pick out the interesting things. Um, and you know the things things like what we have right now with SMP traps and NetFlow yeah. data and uh, and you can't even trap on half the stuff. I love the idea of being able to sit there and stream a BGP peer and go, hey, look what routes I just gained, look what routes I just lost, next hops just changed. Get that kind of data out because that's incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people don't graph that stuff. They don't collect those things. No. Right, because there's so no. much. And, and I think you're, I I think you're talking about the platforming stuff, right? That Yeah, that, that as well. From Jupiter, yeah, yeah, I was I was pretty impressed by you know the questions that we asked of them. They had answers for pretty much all of them, and you know the uh, the um, and that was the one that came with the you know we asked the questions and they are using natural learning with their machine learning and 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 whatever else uh, we asked. But they they went pretty deep into the Junos telemetry interface, which I was pretty interested in. I didn't know that existed, um, and then they also were uh, able to use that to collect stuff that doesn't come from that. So if I want to throw S-flow data out or whatever else, I believe they said they could consume all of those bits too. So if I'm running like host-based S-flow D for statistical export from <laughs> systems, they could u- utilize that data as well, which I thought was pretty nifty. Mm-hmm. So now take all of this, feed machine learning so that it learns what's normal and what's not, get the output to be thrown to a service orchestrator of some sort and everything's good. We can go home. We don't need to have jobs anymore. Right. Self-healing network. Self-healing. Yeah. We've heard that term before somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's part of what, uh, at at Formix is, that's part of their, their, uh, shtick. Part of their platform is, is that they'll repair stuff. Uh, and they weren't alone as well. I'm trying to remember who else was doing it, but, um, it may have been, uh, Ah, it'll come back to me anyway. But there, there was at least two of them who were doing the same thing. It was, you know, telemetry leads to conclusion, leads to action, um, and you know, self-healing. And then self-healing. I think that was Bell, Bell Cloud talked about that too. Yeah, somebody was talking about it in the context of detecting a DDoS and automatically uh, uh, sorting it out. It may have been Thousand Eyes, but... Uh, oh, no, that was... Uh, I, that might have been extreme. Yeah, it was extreme. Okay. Because that so was... Jordan, that, that's been... Here's a goodbye memory. <laughs> Jordan, if I can, I don't know if you have a, a direction for where we're going next, but I did, I did want to uh, just make mention that I was kind of disappointed that we didn't, uh, that we didn't really get into the whole uh, Cisco Viptela thing very much. 
and the VMware VeloCloud thing. Now that second one, VMware VeloCloud is so new that, you know, that makes sense that there was nothing to really do. It really felt like just kind of a VeloCloud presentation and then an NSX presentation, which is, which is fine. There were, there was nothing wrong with that. And I like the technology. I was a little bit, you know, I was looking forward to hearing how this is integrating, what's going on, maybe even a roadmap. I don't know. Yeah. I think the, I think the VeloCloud one's a bit too early, right? That's just a couple yeah, months old. And so, I get that. I mean, it was it was it was interesting because I've been to a couple of Cloud presentations and seeing the same people in VMware shirts was just a little bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> but surely uh, they had to have been thinking about that before they signed the closing papers, right? Like, yeah, why I, are we going to buy? It? But then you know that might be something that you know the public's just not privy to just yet. So I mean, well, we could we could sit here and speculate, and I'm sure we could spend a whole show speculating on how how VMware is going to you know take advantage of Cloud. I think there's some clearly obvious yeah. directions that are going to take them some time to integrate mm -hmm. because these yeah. are things that don't exist for them yet. Yeah, unlike, right. unlike Cisco where Cisco already has routers and devices where we can just, you know, integrate. implement and integrate the software. I think we're, I think the, the integration of Vela cloud is probably gonna take a little bit longer uh, than what we saw on the Fiptela side. And, you know, again, that's crystal ball and who am I, but I just, you know, that's just my take because I think yeah. they're they're I think it's a bit more ambitious what, uh, with what VMware is looking to do with VelaCloud. They, they did kind of say, because one of the questions I asked was, they showed us a, an NSX demo. I was like, okay, that's great. You know, you put your policies in here and it pushes it everywhere. And then they showed us a VelaCloud demo. And it's like, you put your policies in here and they appear everywhere. And it's like, wait, I've got two systems. This is not smart. It won't <laughs> and, be that they, way forever. Yeah. And they did, I asked the question, okay, so when do we get, you know, unified and it was kind of a mm, you know watch this space kind of thing so no time <laughs> it. but yeah. you know that's where they're looking right is if they can truly extend nsx and that whole one single point of policy control out to the wan as well then they want to do that mm -hmm. just also speaking to phil's point i'm actually kind of surprised at how light it was in sd wan this year uh, for or this particular event, that may have just been a, a function of the companies that were there presenting. But I, I don't yeah. know, like the past like eight or nine network field days, it just feels like you know, <laughs> oh, this is eighty five percent SD WAN, and there might be a yeah. couple other tech companies. And this one is like, oh, here's two companies that we also do SD WAN. Do you know, like now it's Cisco, yeah, SD WAN's part of our portfolio, and it's and it's VMware, yeah, SD WAN's part of our portfolio, and two companies yeah. who who bought in. Uh, I guess that's not really fair for Cisco, but yeah, they bought in. Um, Completely so, fair. Well, just, I know they had they had an IWAN before it. I mean, everyone's already forgotten about it, but they were they yeah. were they were SD WAN. Um, there was air quotes for those who were listening. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, some of that is sort of we, we can kind of see coming when the Cisco applica uh, acquisition of Iptela happened because I mean SD WAN it's just going to become part of the WAN like it's just going to be the way we do things. I think. You know, we've proved that it works. It's better than what we used to do. And, you know, people are going to integrate that and it's just going to be the way we do things. Yeah. There's going to be a few people who do it and it's going to be like, you know, BGP or, you know, it's, you know, it's just going to be the way the way it works. So the way, so in the hype cycle, we're at that last part. What is the last part called? Like normalcy or, you know what I mean, right? When we level off and we're into normal zone. We're getting I get there. stuck in the trough of disillusion. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of us tend to live in there for a variety of reasons. Sure. <laughs> well, so from the SD-WAN perspective, you know, I've been pretty vocal about going, this isn't, this isn't a thing, right? This is all the same stuff we've all been doing for 20 years, except for now it has a pretty wrapper around it. But I think that's why it works. Yeah, my, my right? argument with that, I 100% I agree with everything you just said, except for the fact that it's not what we've all been doing. 
It's only what the advanced shops have been doing because the problem is, is that orchestrating all of these different tools that have existed has been quite difficult. And so it's only, only shops with really good engineering staffs that are able to piece all the pieces together and have an SD-WAN-like solution without SD-WAN. And so SD-WAN, SD-WAN is more about the enterprise. It's more about the places that, you know, they contract out and, you know, engineering, they don't have engineering on staff. Mm -hmm. We want to do this WAN and we want to do it here. And, and to be quite honestly, more for the MSP, um, who's doing it for a million different places. And I hate that. I absolutely despise it because I think it takes out 90% of the the advantage of Uh SD-WAN. It's just the reality of what it is. I'm going to take you with that statement anyway, Nick, right? Because I, Although, I mean, and Cisco IWAN is a, a great demonstration of the fact that you could stack a bunch of technologies together and, and you know, put a bow on it and call it a product. Um, but the bit that was missing about pretty much all of the technologies we had was any kind of real-time reactivity to what's going on, any kind of um, preemptive packet loss uh, uh, avoidance technologies so you know either sending multiple packets you know, packets over multiple links or sending crc packets and this kind of thing that stuff wasn't around i mean i think i think i get where you're coming from but i don't think it's fair to say that sd-wan as it is right now is something we've all had around for years and just no one's packaged it up i don't think maybe i'm wrong but i don't think that stuff was around well so i mean there's been there's been products for 20 years that have been deployed in places like the 7-Eleven that's not near anything else that needed connectivity that might also need, you know, a backup link. So it's got, you know, a satellite on one and a POTS line on another. That stuff's been around for a really long time, you know, so for these remote remote locations that, you know, a lot, it's a lot of point of sale type systems. Are right? you suggesting that, that kind of stuff? SD-WAN is kind of like an ISDN backup of, of the 2010s? I, 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 I see it as a little bit no, more than no, that, otherwise maybe I'm... No, I mean, let me finish. So the, the mechanisms for doing those things, and this is, I think you guys are misreading what I'm saying here. It's stuff that we've had to either cobble together or it's a fringe product, right? So it's my complicated IPsec VPN that has, you know, a commodity link and then also a MPLS link or a whatever, you know, leased line for private access. And then, you know, there's a high level engineer that's had to go in and configure failover, right? That stuff's been there for, we've been doing that forever, right? Where SD-WAN, I just, I don't like the productization of things that are like, let me take all these things and put them in a box and call it guaranteed. Right. What I what I think that they've done is they've taken a lot of stuff that's been around a while. They've added some secret sauce to it in a lot of cases and made it consumer friendly. So they've made it so you don't have to have, like Jordan said, a very high level engineer goes in and does all this stuff. It's a box. You plug a flash drive into it. It pushes a zero touch config. You ship it out to the clerk at the, you know, at the Shell station in Bumble Stump, Arkansas, and he can plug it in and it just works. But well, in our, in why is that a bad thing though? Defend, right. No, it's, it's not. It's, yeah. So you're, maybe, maybe my delivery is bad or something. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. I think I'm right. saying that they've taken something that's been previously hard to do that we, that a lot of people have done in the past and they've made something out of it that is now much more easily consumable. This is the Apple right? business model. 
I was this, actually this, thinking this is yeah, what Apple, yeah, this, yeah. This is what Apple does. Is. Apple, yeah. Apple is not innovative. Yeah. They don't take anything new. They just package something together and make it easy to consume. Uh, and there's there's a place but, in the but, market for that. Are you okay there, John? There's a huge place in the market for that. Don't underestimate the work that has to go into good design, right? Don't underestimate because we're talking don't. about the difficulty of automation and orchestration. And so calling it like a pretty wrapper, I think, you know, sort of takes away from the work that really has to go on under the covers to actually orchestrate something so that it works as an advertisement. No, Man, no, I'm not I, discounting that at all. I think <laughs> delivery just was terrible. I was excited talking to the I, I, I think guys. Man, I was lobbing hard question after John's hard question. John's dying over there. What's, what's, uh, um, <laughs> let's hear Apple, it. With the Apple thing, I've just realized why Cisco called it IWAN. Um, I, I, I don't think. I don't think <laughs> no, 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 no. That was the opposite of the Apple paradigm. Come on now. <laughs> Maybe it's what they wanted. Projection. I think the problem is that you've equated failover links with SUN twice now, and I'm going to have to come and find you. That's all I'm saying. We'll all right, it, it sounds like we have another show. I don't think we have time to, uh, to, major, to battle this out. <laughs> All right, so we just have a couple more minutes, but uh, there was one more thing I kind of wanted to bring up. Uh, White Fox made an appearance in yeah. kind of a different a different format than what we've seen before, and we that, we actually had a White Box manufactured. Although I guess they've they've presented before, but it's been a while. Um, so Mellanox was there, right? Like, mm-hmm. I we find that. I don't know, maybe the white box vendors don't have as much margin to go out and buy, you know, big advertising spins and talk to engineers and, hey, come look at us. But that was interesting. I mean, what do you guys think about that presentation? Just out of curiosity. Well, first, do you, do you really categorize Mellanox as a white box? No. Okay, fair enough. I knew I was going to get called out as soon as I said that. So, okay. So Mellanox made an appearance, non-standard major hardware vendor with relatively, you know, uh, disaggre- disaggregation play. So it was a good triple play, right? I mean, you, so that, that particular presentation, if you've not seen it, it's probably worth looking, was Cumulus with Ixia and Mellanox. Correct. So you've got the, the hardware vendor making the switch, and you've got Mellanox. Cumulus putting the NOS on there, and then Ixia who sits in the middle going, hey, we can actually simulate your entire network of these boxes and tell you what's going what's to happen when you make changes and this kind of thing. That's it. Okay, that was actually kind of an interesting way to bring those three things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it, honestly. And and what, what Ixie is doing, I'm not sure whether or not that's the product I want, but that's something I'm very much minded of right now. I'm trying to figure out how to simulate changes um, and validate configurations before pushing them out, right? And the idea of doing everything virtually is extremely attractive. So being able to model something and, and, and before pushing things out, it's, yeah. it's like the ultimate lab. Well, I think the Mellanox presentation would be great to listen to for anybody who wants to just think through uh, switching hardware and issues about buffers and do we need big buffers? Do we not need big buffers? There was a a pretty in-depth conversation in the middle of their presentation about buffers and, and, and Mellanox had some really good answers. Um, And so I think just FYI, that would be a great, session to listen to to understand more about switching hardware um but really cumulus and pete kind of stole stole that show um just what cumulus is doing with their operating system and i know somebody said earlier that it's just linux might be intimidating but cumulus has gone an interesting route because they have built a basically a cli application that runs on linux that's going to 
interact with an engineer in a very similar way um, as to what they're used to with a switch from a big vendor. And so, yes, it's Linux under the covers. You can manage it by Linux, but then they've also built this interface that is familiar. Um, so it, it's really, really interesting. I'm going to stop and let you guys talk some, but I could, I could talk for another 30 minutes. Actually, with that, Yvonne, I think you get the last word because we're starting oh. to run a little long. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. And also speaking to that, uh, we've done uh, a couple shows with, with Pete Lumbus from Cumulus. We're talking about not necessarily Cumulus specifically, but uh, white box and disaggregation. So there'll be another resource if you're looking to learn a bit about that. Um, so before we run, though, I want to give everyone an opportunity to, to tell you where you can find them. So, John, why don't you kick us off? Uh, sure. I'm on Twitter occasionally, uh, at Mr. Tugs, um, but more likely on my blog, uh, movingpackets.net. All right, Nick. I'm on Twitter occasionally as at Baralio, I blog at forwardingplane.net. Okay. Drew, I think you're part of a small podcast somewhere, I think. Yeah, I do. It. It's a little <laughs> modest podcast, Packet Pushers. Uh, I've never heard of it. You may have heard it. And I'm also on Twitter way more than I should be. It's at Drew underscore CM and I blog at packetpushers.net. Awesome. Uh, So, uh, and my co-host, I can't forget about my co-host. How about you, Yvonne? Where can people find you? Uh, You can always find me on the blog at esharp.net where I'll be talking about networking field day 17 and on Twitter at Sharp Network. All right, Phil. And when you're not lifting, where can people find you? (laughs) I, I'm always lifting. So there's no item in the gym. There's no other time that exists. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, network underscore Phil. And uh, I'll also be blogging about uh, NFD 17 over the next uh, month or two at networkphil.com. All right. You can find me at BC Jordo on Twitter. Uh, occasionally write on my blog, jordanmartin.net. Uh, if you like this episode, there's many more at our website, uh, thenetworkcollective.com. You can go find us there. Uh, we're on Twitter at netcollectivepc. Uh, we have videos and audio and all the fun stuff. You can find us all the regular places. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it. Uh, thanks. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>